This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into the BearCast on this Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports Radio Host. Catch me Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 on the uh, 365 Sports YouTube channel. And uh, also, as always, joined by Grayson Grundhafer, Sikkim365.com. You can check his writings all over the website and uh, a lot of that lately here with the transfer portal and with recruiting in full swing and now with a little sign of life when it comes to the start of actual football activities for Baylor football and of course basketball season rages on as well so we'll get into all of that got Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well so a full crew on this Tuesday and a little over an hour to unpack a lot of different headlines and news and notes from Baylor Athletics. So, uh, Grayson, it's cold, it's rainy, it's very much a January day out there, but uh, how you doing with uh, what seems like nonstop news and notes and activity when it comes to uh, particularly recruiting in college football right now? Right, I mean, it, it just continues to be busy. Um, and, and Baylor already started school, I believe, last week, and so it just is, it's an interesting dynamic, right, where you're still seeing visitors, still seeing Baylor be active in the transfer portal, yet classes are already underway, and the team's already starting to, you know, get together, have meetings, saw workout videos for the first time this offseason. Um, I believe that was a day or two ago. So, yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic as recruiting literally never stops, and now it feels like the transfer portal never stops, especially in the offseason, and we, we saw that yesterday with Baylor. Yeah, we did. Uh, they've got a brand-new commit uh, that we will touch on in just a second, but uh, if, in case you missed it, we did have Jake Spavital, new Baylor OC, on the show yesterday uh, over on 365 Sports, so head on over there and check that out. Uh, also, hit like and subscribe. We'd appreciate that, but uh, got to talk to him. He was still out on the road recruiting, and let it be known that he's spent more time getting to know recruits since he was hired back in December than he has with his actual team, um, so that's the way the calendar has worked as of late. Now, fortunately, that's going to change, and I believe uh, like either today or tomorrow, but this week, uh, they get to actually get back to working out with the team and being around the team, and they will have uh, not full-blown practices but opportunities to start the installation process. So that's one thing that is getting ready to get underway this week. They're getting off the road finally and will be actually around the team. But crazy to think that he spent more time with recruits and he was hired, uh, what, nearly two months ago mm -hmm. uh, than he has with his actual players. Yeah, that's just that's just kind of crazy that uh, that's the way that it works. But that's the way that it's worked so far. Yeah, and him being a new hire too makes that situation even tougher, right? Because he's still trying to get to know the team, get to know kind of the personnel. Obviously, have to uh, install a system as well. So there's a lot for him to do. But recruiting is really important, and it's something that Baylor has to improve upon, I think, and wants to improve upon and just get better. Um, 
in all areas of it. And so in order for that to happen, you got to go out, build these relationships with Texas high school football coaches, which we've seen a lot of, and just continue to maintain those relationships and connections with a lot of the high school prospects. And, and I think Baylor's done a really nice job of that. We've seen coaches at South Oak Cliff a ton. You know, I saw Dave Veranda was there a couple days ago. The whole staff was there, it felt like, a a week ago. So that's one. But they've been going everywhere. And it's been really, really cool to see uh, that kind of effort. And, and I mean, that goes on every single year. But it just seems like it's been more on display this offseason. Yeah, so he's been out on the road uh, along with the rest of the staff. They'll get back to finally uh, enjoy life on campus again here uh, in the coming days and get to work with the players. Uh, we also have spring football dates that are coming up uh, here in just a little less than two months now. We'll see the team back out on the field, so that's exciting to have that known along with the green and gold dates. And so spring starting to shape up a bit, but let's talk about what is the uh, – I guess the biggest priority on the to-do list right now, and that's being on the road and recruiting and finishing things up before the dead period. And uh, yet another transfer portal commit for the Bears. Uh, it's been a fast and furious offseason. They've had, what, now eight commits through the transfer portal. I believe the total last year was, what, 12 or 13 mm-hmm. uh, when all was said and done. So uh, they're closing in on on that number. And, of course, there will be more attrition, uh post-spring ball and more guys to add potentially as well. But Steve Linton from Texas Tech, the latest pledge to Baylor through the transfer portal uh, defender. Um, and Grayson, uh, help me out, is he a defensive lineman? Is he a line? Like, what? what is his actual position here? Yeah, so he's an edge, so he's going to play Jack okay, for Baylor. He's listed yeah. as a tight end on one side. He's listed as a linebacker <laughs> on another site. Uh, and I believe on our side he's listed as a tight end, so we might want to correct that oh, there. Oh, a tight uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, probably supposed to be defensive end, but yeah, yeah um, he's so, going to be an edge. A so jack. a little typo there, and uh, on ESPN he's listed as a linebacker. So that's why I ask because I'm sitting here going, I thought he was an edge rusher, but I'm seeing two other positions other than that listed. So an edge rusher is what you're looking at here, and um, Texas Tech. First time we've seen Baylor pluck away um, a player from Texas Tech during the transfer portal era. Of course, uh, Texas Tech went out and grabbed. Um, A.J. McCarty uh, last year, so they've uh, dipped into the the Baylor bag, so now on the reverse here, and Steve Linton's the guy, and why is he the guy to be commit number eight through the transfer portal? Yeah, I mean, this is a position Baylor's been looking at addressing for the entire kind of portal cycle. Uh, I mean, they they really targeted two guys specifically, Gardner-Webb outside linebacker Ty French, who ended up at West Virginia, and then Bowling Green outside linebacker Cassius Howell, who committed to Texas A&M. So once those two were off the board, Baylor was kind of reevaluating things, reevaluating the position, reevaluating the guys who were in the portal. Um, And Steve Linton was kind of a a late addition to the portal because he graduated from Texas Tech first, um, which allowed him to be a grad transfer and utilize his final year of eligibility without having to sit out a year because he did transfer to Texas Tech from Syracuse uh, just a year ago. Um, So yeah, so Baylor brought him in late. He was a guy I mentioned on the premium side a couple times as there were rumblings um, that there could be interest there. And then early on Sunday, 
um, got confirmation that he was going to be on Baylor's campus. Um, he ultimately visited on Sunday and then made his decision on Monday. So a really quick turnaround for Linton. Uh, he fits kind of what they want, though. I mean, 6'5", 235 pounds. Uh, he's got 44 tackles, 10.5 for loss, 6.5 sacks, 3 forced fumbles over the past two seasons. He destroyed Baylor in McLean Stadium this past year, had three sacks, two forced fumbles in that game. Truly a career day for him. Um, but ultimately, Ultimately, the reason you bring him in is because of his pass rushing ability. A PFF has him graded at 87.1 as a pass rusher. That would be better than anyone on Baylor's current roster. Um, he's going to come in and provide an upgrade there. And I think for that reason, you bring in a guy like this, you pair him with Garmin Randolph, and you feel like the jack position is solidified after losing Byron Vaughn's uh, a season ago. He only played seven games last year, mm-hmm. um, so... There is that. You want to get much more than seven games out of him. And the three sacks that he had in the entire year were all against Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what that says, um, that he didn't have any other in any other games. And I know what that does say about Baylor, that they gave up three sacks to one guy, and that was his entire season total. That's uh, not the best note in the world, but that kind of fits with uh, the the media guide coming out of last year's season and just kind of the, all the sorts of just hair-pulling sorts of notes that came out of that. That's certainly one of them, of a guy got his season total of three sacks against you and you alone, but that's clearly how he helped get on their radar, uh, was having a performance like that. So, yeah, that was something notable, the three-sack effort against Baylor that also included two forced fumbles uh, in that game as well. So uh, the Bears certainly know who he was. Uh, Outside of that, um, let's see, 10 tackles uh, in the other six games that he played in and uh, has been around for a while now. This will be his sixth year coming up. Um, and, man, we're seeing a lot of six-year guys, and we're seeing a lot of three-team guys now as well. It's almost like becoming common that everybody's played at three schools, but he spent four seasons at Syracuse and then at Tech last year. Um, so, yeah, Steve Linton, 6'5", uh, close to 240, the latest edition pass rusher edge from – um, Dublin, Georgia. Uh, so here you go, commit number eight. And where does that, uh, as you know, we play this game, where does that leave you now? Have you got your eighth commit in here? Where, and I guess let's start off, where does he fit, you think, in the Baylor defense as they are making changes? Dave Aranda now taking over more responsibility. Um, how exactly does he fit in in your mind? Right. So uh, you mentioned his production at Texas Tech left a lot to be desired. I, I think ultimately the situation didn't quite all come together for him and for the Tech staff. Now, I do want to point out that Texas Tech did have very high hopes for him. I mean, they were calling him, uh, a, I know there's a quote of James Blanchard saying, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy's a first round pick. You know, here's his name in the first round the next year. Um, so basically this offseason. So I think that that's really important to mention is that Tech sees the upside, saw the upside in him, and believes he is very, very talented. Things didn't all come together for various reasons. That happens sometimes. So I think a fresh start um, could be exactly what he needs. So we'll see how that kind of translates. But ultimately, his main role, his main function for Baylor this upcoming year is going to be pass rushing. He has got to get after the quarterback. I think he's going to be their primary third down pass rusher, so third and long type situations. He's going to be on the field a ton. I think you'll see situations where he and Garmin Randolph are on the field uh, together. That was supposed to happen last year with Vons and Randolph. It just didn't quite come together. Um, But ultimately, I do think he will split reps as well with Garmin and then also be on the field at the same time with him uh, as well. So I'm excited. I think that this is a... 
I know the staff is really excited kind of about what he could bring to the table athletically. And I think he's different than what they have on the roster. Like I said, his pass rushing grade is much different um, than what Baylor has right now. And so he could bring a little bit of juice there and, and really help them. So depth, ability to get after the quarterback, and ability to create havoc plays, I think are, are kind of what you're going to see with him. And while it might be a risk, I think it's a risk worth taking. Yeah, I mean, he definitely did not pan out in the one year in Lubbock the way that they thought he could. Like you said, though, has tremendous upside. So the goal now is for him to be a factor, and that's going to be on Steve Linton. So, you know, your third school in six years, that's nothing out of the ordinary. But what that is is that's your last shot now coming up. And um, you've got to take full advantage of it. And we know this staff is in desperate need of playmakers, so this is a need for both sides in more ways than just the position fit. But they need him to produce um, and get his butt in gear and show the skills that clearly a lot of people see in him. And um, and he needs them to put him in the right spots and to you know have the right people around him to fully complement what he could potentially do. So we'll see how this marriage works. But a uh, quick trip down the altar, and now Baylor's got their eighth uh, pledge for the Transfer portal class here in 2024 from Texas Tech defensive end Steve Linton. So here we are, Daquan Finn at quarterback, a couple of offensive linemen, Omar Agbedian and Kurt Daniker, wide receiver Ashton Hawkins, tight end Michael Trigg. That's what you've done so far on the offensive side. Then a- and Jamal Bell from Nevada. I don't know. If okay. he's not on there, but he's another one. Yeah, yeah you'll see receiver. him on our list here. So, yeah, Jamal Bellett, wide receiver. Uh, so, two wide receivers, him and Austin, Ashton Hawkins, uh, as well as tight end Michael Trigg. And then a pair of defensive backs and Cameron Jenkins and Kendrick Simpkins along now with Steve Linton there uh, as your edge rusher. So, there's your eight pledges so far for this Baylor recruiting class. And so, uh, where does that leave us as far as the transfer portal goes now? Got a dead period coming up here pretty soon. Um, where coaches will you know, be able to get off the road and start to work with the team. So what are you eyeing as far as uh, the rest of the possibilities that are currently out there? Right. So with Bell, they're, they're actually at nine, um, which is kind they're of a, nine, a, good, yeah. a good number uh, currently. They also brought in two JUCO prospects. And so, you know, I know those go to the 2023 class, but still, uh, or the 2024 class, but still kind of a part of this transfer portal uh, hall. And, and in regards to new additions, you got some early enrollees arriving as well. Um, but in general, you know, with the transfer portal, I think this is a situation where you're going to see Baylor sit back. I think if you find the right guy on the defensive line or offensive line, maybe even wide receiver, uh, you take a shot. But I kind of am... I'm hesitant to say they're going to make any more additions uh, at this point from the portal this cycle. Um, I think you're going to see them go into the spring, see what they have on the roster, see what guys leave after the spring, because uh, to be honest, I think this roster still could use a little more attrition or or could see a little more attrition, and that would give them more spots available to work with. Um, I also will say I think there's this huge expectation this offseason that uh, this next portal cycle after spring football is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, I would say that this current cycle was unlike anything we've ever seen, and so now you move to this one and you could see more of the same, which could give Baylor opportunities uh, to upgrade the roster with uh, even more talent. So I think they're probably going to wait on that 
Is it possible they bring in someone else? Sure, it'll be a best available type, likely on the offense line or defensive line. And then obviously there's also a 2024 target that they're still working on, um, but he would not be an early enrollee, and that's Josh Lair, the safety out of Fort Ben Marshall, who I know we're going to talk about in a little bit. But that's where they're at right now. I don't see much more movement here, much more additions heading into spring. Post-spring, I do see more additions potentially happening. And so the dead period coming up, what, in less than two weeks now, uh, you've got uh, February the 5th, the date where the dead period will start, and that will last for a little less than a month through March the 3rd. So uh, we're in a quiet period, um, I guess, coming up here pretty soon, and then an actual dead period, and then another quiet period. And so that'll all be working its way through the, the calendar, but... Uh, you'll get contact starting back up in April, but still a couple of weeks to go of transfer portal madness, so to speak, uh, around the country. And we've seen plenty of that, and we've seen plenty of activity with Baylor, but it is going to quiet down a little bit, it appears, for the green and gold, while others remain very active. Um, and like you said, possibilities that they could do some more, but for the most part, uh, you're now at nine guys, and you know there's not a lot of spots on this roster right now because they didn't lose many players this offseason so that is something that will have to work itself out during spring football uh you did mention a name there though josh lair from um what you say fort ben marshall, marshall yeah uh who is committed to washington and clearly the huskies after their great college football playoff run have had a little bit of change going on up in seattle as well with kaylin DeBoer now at alabama along with a lot of the staff that was up there in seattle they moved quick to hire a coach and now it's all just about you know trying to get what you can done and they go with Arizona's Jed Fish which is of interest because Arizona making their way into the Big 12 next season and certainly would have been uh, right there near the top of the favorites just based on uh, what they had set up following this past season and the big win in the bowl game over Oklahoma and the fact that you've got a really talented quarterback in Noah Fafita and a really great receiver in Tetairoa McMillan, among various other players. And those two, fortunately for the Wildcats, are sticking around in Arizona with new head coach Brent Brennan. Um, but a lot of other guys are, are you know, finding their way. I saw Texas picked up a guy today from Arizona, and Alabama's obviously going to get some guys. But this does have a, a wide-ranging effect, all of the changes going on. So what does this mean for a Washington commit, Josh Lair? Um, and Jed Fish trying to pull him up there to Seattle, even though he originally committed to Kalen DeBoer, and just kind of how all does that work in, in possibly Baylor's favor? Right, so he signed with Washington, okay, signed but with he Washington. was let out of his national ever intent once Kalen DeBoer took the job at Alabama. And so now he's just kind of open. He's going to be able to uh, start his recruitment over. Um, his top three were Texas, Baylor, and Washington. So that gives you an idea of kind of where Baylor is at in the pecking order. Um, I will also say that there are some other schools that have gotten involved since he was let out of his release. Obviously, Alabama is one that I think people would naturally bring up um, because DeBoer is there now, and it would kind of make sense um, in that regard. Uh, but the schools that I'm hearing kind of the most traction on are uh, Texas A&M and LSU, outside of Texas and Baylor, of course. So AM, LSU kind of getting involved there. Um, he could potentially take an official visit uh, to AM because he didn't take one, I don't believe, during his recruitment. Uh, so, yeah, that gives them a little bit of an advantage. But on the flip side for Baylor, Matthew Pallage has a great relationship with him. Lair was extremely interested in Baylor the moment he got the offer. He took an official visit to Baylor. Um, the Bears were a serious contender. 
but he took an official visit to Washington right before he made his decision, and that really made up his mind for him that he was going to end up in Seattle. But now Baylor's got another shot at it, and he's a four-star prospect, a really, really high-level recruit, a guy who I think would solidify Baylor's star position for the future. Um, They have Kendrick Simpkins for this year, but he only has one year available, the Western Kentucky transfer. So to get Laren, allow him to kind of learn the position, really play early potentially, and then also be set for a long future there at the star position, which we know is so important in this Baylor defense, could be massive. Um, So I think Baylor's going to do everything they can to try to land him and get him in this class. He would sign in February, but he would not enroll until um, the summer with the rest of the prospects. So that's kind of where things are at there. Lots of competition, highly rated individual, highly rated guy, but also a guy who's got great connections at Baylor, specifically with Matthew Pallage. Yeah, he was uh, rated as a three-star coming out of Fort Bend Marshall, but had offers Baylor, LSU, Texas, Washington. I mean, a, a good group of schools. So now one of, I guess, dozens of players out on the market once again, players from Alabama, all free and clear for the next, what, three weeks now um, mm-hmm. because it's already been about a week since Saban retired. Uh, that created a ton of chaos with that talented of a roster being let loose and Kalen DeBoer being hired at Alabama releases Washington's roster, Jed Fish taking over at Washington, releases Arizona's roster. And so it's been very interesting just when you thought the carousel was over, that domino effect of Bama, Washington, and Arizona all having their rosters wide open for an entire month. And so uh, he is one of the dozens of players who are trying to figure out their next moves and is now free and clear to to do whatever he should choose. So uh, I'm sure it's crazy, but also very exciting for a guy like uh, Joshua Lair. So definitely now a, a name to keep an eye on the safety formerly of Fort Ben Marshall. So a uh, good nugget there and something to keep track of. And uh, recruiting never stops, of course. So there's the transfer portal guys that we've been talking about. Steve Linton, who has a ton of upside, but just has got to get it together and, and produce and just, uh, you know, be at his best and and maximize his talent level before uh, time runs out on his college career. You've got a Josh Lair um, now into the transfer portal who, um, you know, is just still young in the process and a ton of talent, like you said, and, and a lot of schools now pursuing him. And then there's just your regular recruits. Uh, those guys still exist, believe it or not. You know, just your regular old high school recruits. We kind of forget that uh, they're important as well, although the conversations now about their importance level in the transfer portal era is certainly one of the bigger conversations out there as a lot of the attention now gets paid in recruiting to the transfer portal guys. But high school recruiting is important. And uh, Grayson, they've got a junior day coming up here uh, this weekend. So uh, what do you think about, uh, I guess, is this the start of the festivities? Kind of what does the calendar look like as far as the the junior days go? Because not everybody follows these particularly closely. Uh, Can you kind of give the rundown as far as that goes? And then what is this particular junior day? Why does it matter for Baylor in terms of the players involved and and what they're looking to accomplish here? Right. So, I mean, I got the uh, most of the list up on the website right now on the premium site. If you want to see the exact names that are going to be on campus, but already up over 30 prospects uh, who will be visiting on Sunday. Um, It's kind of their They do this every single year for the uh, conference championship round. So they'll watch the uh, NFL games and then also obviously have conversations with all the recruits, eat watch the games, and then everyone will go home after a a really good day. That's kind of what they've been doing. That's been the blueprint over the past few years now. 
uh, under Dave Aranda. And so, yeah, I mean, here's how it kind of works. I mean, they're going to have all these prospects on. It's not going to be all of their top guys. Some guys can't make it. Uh, for instance, Oregon's Junior Day, I think, runs on the same day. So there's a few guys that are going out there instead of Baylor. Uh, but for the most part, this gives you a very good idea of who their top targets are. And I think that's really important information. You know, when you're kind of trying to figure out, okay, what position is Baylor targeting? What, you know, what players specifically at those positions? What kind of prospects? You know, are you looking for slot receivers, outside receivers, edge rushers, true defensive ends, stop the run? It gives you an idea of kind of what they're going for. Also, with all these new coaches on the staff, it's also good information, right? Because, you know, what Jeff Grimes wanted and Eric Mateos wanted on the offensive line is very different than what Chris Kapilovic wants on the offensive line. And so those type of changes are, are very intriguing as well. But ultimately, I, I think there's a lot of hype around the 2025 class um, based on kind of all the tweets that everyone's seeing, the amount of spaces that you have in this upcoming recruiting class, um, this notion that, you know, Baylor had a bad recruiting class in 2024 because it wasn't ranked highly. Um, I think Baylor wants to change that narrative. And so for that reason, I do think 2025 will be very different when it comes to recruiting rankings, when it comes to how many prospects they take in this class. And I think there's a lot of excitement around how Baylor has started this class and how they're looking to, to finish it as well. I mean, they already have five commits, three on the offensive line, one quarterback, one receiver. So they're already off to a great start, but now it's just about adding more and more talent. You got Keenan Hall, uh, who came in from SMU. So trying to figure out, oh, you know, who's he going to target at running back? What kind of prospects can he get on campus? Well, you know, two SMU commits are going to be on campus. So, I mean, that, that gives you an idea of kind of the work that he's put in uh, to building up this junior day as well. So, yeah, a lot of good nuggets here, a lot of really good prospects, multiple four-star prospects, a couple of top 100 prospects will be on campus, and then all the commits. So a really fun weekend and a very important weekend. If you're not a Sikkim 365 Premium subscriber, I very much recommend it for something like this. So junior day coming up this weekend. I noticed they'd thrown out another offer today uh, to a Texas baseball commit, uh, Ed Small, um, who I just saw, I guess Aaron Appleberry from the staff uh, retweeted him, but 2025 wide receiver um, who is committed to Texas to play baseball. So there you go. Ed Small, wide receiver out of the Austin area, it appears. Uh, one of the latest. What uh, high school? Um, let's see what his huddle says. Do to do to do great radio. Oh, it's okay if you don't know. No, it's I all right. mean, I'm I just, just waiting for the show. internet connection to uh, Austin Anderson High School. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So Austin Anderson's Ed Small, Texas baseball commit, getting an offer. Looks like here within the last hour from uh, Baylor football. So yeah, just uh, thought I'd pass that along as well as they're uh, continuing to throw out offers. That also seems like something that's happening on a daily basis right now as well as is offer announcements. So they've been very busy uh, again. If you haven't. Had a chance to check it out yet. We did talk to Jake Spavitzall on 365 Sports yesterday for a good 20 minutes or so, and he dove into, uh, you know, just getting to know Dave Aranda a little bit and just being around and kind of getting back on the road here in Texas, and uh, it was good stuff and uh, was certainly, you know, a nice uh, – like it's like a nice hot meal on a cold day because we've got football news, but it's not the kind of football news if you're not into recruiting that you typically would want. And so it, it was nice to kind of get a little bit back into just the actual team, you know, and it's good to do the recruiting stuff too, but that was also a nice little side dish and looking forward to hearing more from the assistant coaches 
um, here over the next few weeks and then eventually getting into spring ball. But uh, recruiting definitely hot and heavy right now. So I think football-wise, that's uh, about it. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, it's been very up and down uh, last week for Baylor basketball as a whole and really Baylor basketball on both sides. Uh, man, it's been a rough near couple of weeks. Uh, they are a total of two and six in their last eight games combined uh, are the Baylor men and women right now. Mm. And um, that's right in the heart of Big 12 play. So there's no guarantee that is going to change over. Uh, you know, you hope that you can get a little stretch going, but it's just so difficult. And so here we are now where you've got the Baylor men, still a top 15 ranked team, but after starting off Big 12 play 2-0 and with wins in Austin and then against TCU, uh, and also, excuse me, 3-0 and against uh, Houston, which was a very nice win, of course, uh, they've since that Houston game dropped a blowout loss to uh, Kansas, uh, out in uh, Lord, or excuse me, is that uh, that's women? That's right? the women. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Let me get to the men's here because that's who I started off with. Uh, so the men, since their big win over, that's the women's as well. No wonder it was looking like that. <laughs> uh, it's got the double page up there. So yeah, I'm tripping and sorry about that. Or I guess my internet's tripping here. Let me get to the men. All right, since so they're not uh, quite uh, two and six. They are. Three and five combined in their last eight games, I believe. But uh, anyways, uh, the men with a nice start to Big 12 play, wins over Oak State, and then BYU, and then Cincinnati, but have now dropped their past two games uh, with the loss to Kansas State in overtime up in Manhattan, a very winnable game there, and then turn around and heartbreak in Austin on Saturday. Last time they'll travel to Austin, um, it's not like football. That could very well happen pretty frequently. It's just not going to be, you know, obviously two games a year home and away like it, it used to be every single season. But their last trip to Austin for the foreseeable future, and they lose it late, uh, 75-73. So the Baylor men, after that 3-0 Big 12 start, now 3-2 and with back-to-back losses. And they are off for a few days before traveling to Fort Worth to take on TCU this Saturday on ESPN2, an afternoon game. So, man, uh, two losses, but by a combined eight points, or excuse me, by six points, including an overtime loss. And the Texas one just really grinds my gears for a variety of reasons, but especially after the whole Rodney Terry debacle against UCF. Like, you let, you let them turn around and beat you and get a nice top 20. That just ticked me off, and man. And there he goes jumping around again like he won oh, a, a total Super hypocrite. Bowl after a, a total hypocrite. All the, I mean, <laughs> yeah. just awful. He was uh, saying one thing and, and doing another yeah. uh, last week, but you know what? Uh, that's that's his prerogative, and, and everybody clearly saw the hypocrisy there. Um, but you know what? He gets to laugh because they got the win. So mm-hmm. he gets to celebrate now after being the guy who everybody was rightfully poking fun at for his total overreaction to getting beat by UCF. And then here goes Baylor just opening the door right back, man. Um, so, yeah, that was that was very frustrating. But 14-4 and four overall, how are you feeling after a couple of uh, losses here, close losses? Right. So, I, I guess the, the hard part here is you had a chance to really bury Texas. I mean, Texas was about to be 1-4. Baylor had a lead going into the last four minutes of this game. I mean – that's right where you want to be on the road in the Big 12. They, they had every opportunity to win this game, just like they had every opportunity to win the Kansas State game. I think that's the most frustrating part. 
But if you really look at it closely, I think there's a lot of overreaction, but it all stems from what were your expectations for this team? Because I think if you thought this team was going to win a national championship, should be the number one overall team all year long or something along those lines, then sure, you're disappointed in the results. But if you were pretty realistic that Baylor's probably going to be a you know borderline top 10, for sure top 25 team, then for them to start off big 12 play 3-2 and two with you know being undefeated at home and one road win in the big 12 already, it's not really a bad place to be. And so I know that a lot of people are upset because those games were so close and those games were so winnable and Baylor let them off the hook, really. I still think there is still a possibility for Baylor to have a very good season and accomplish many of the goals that people had expectations for them to do. Um, I look at the upcoming schedule. I see home games against TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech, and then the one road game against a very beatable UCF team. I mean, we could be sitting here in a couple weeks and saying, hey, Baylor's 6-3 and three, or maybe even 7-2 and two after this run, and it wouldn't be all that surprising. And so I think, again, you know, very close losses. You can take it one way or another, but at least Baylor's not getting blown out. They're being competitive in all of these games, which should be a good sign going forward if they can just close out a few of those games, those really tough, tight, close road games. If they can do that, they still have a shot in my eyes to win the Big 12. Um, Would I pick them? Are they the favorite for me? No, that would be Kansas um, and then probably Houston. Um, But I do think there's a chance there for Baylor, even though I know this has been a a tough, tough couple games. I I think Baylor will get back on track and should be uh, right near the top of the standings. If if my view of this team is correct, I think they will be six and three after this stretch, which would put them in my eyes tied for first place in the Big 12. Well, the last time and the only other time they've lost a couple games this year, they went on a five-game winning streak after that. So if they could accomplish that and go on a five-game winning streak, that would mean like three top 25 wins Mm -hmm. with the upcoming Big 12 schedule. But um, they've got to be better on defense. I I know it can't get drastically better. You are who you are. But, uh, man, um, that's just oof uh, sometimes. And um, that was just a brutal loss on Saturday. I mean, get to lose on a buzzer beater layup on the road in a game that you had in control and, and, and was right there for the taking and winnable. And like you said, you could, you could throw dirt on Rodney Terry in Texas and you let them rise from the grave. And that was after his, uh, his little, you know, showing last week, that was just Awful timing to let them grab one, man. That's that's what really grinds my gears. Um, it is what it is, though. And kudos to Texas for going and getting a big win when they could have just pouted and you know dropped another game and and really spiraled uh, possibly. But instead, they get a, a huge top. Uh, what would it be a fifteen win? It was top top ten, win. 10. Yeah, top yeah, ten it was win a last top weekend. 20, ten win when it happened. Um, yeah. One comment on that game. Um, Ray J. Dennis has to play better. And I know that people are going to say, oh, the assist-to-turnover ratio was good. He shot two shots all game long. And I mentioned this to Garrett. I don't think he had two feet in the paint the whole game. Like, he could not get around Tyrese Hunter. And then you look on the other end, and Hunter and Abe Smith are just lights out. They were awesome. Hunter had his best game of the year, and Ray J was just okay. And that can't happen. Like, if this team's going to reach their goals, he's got to outplay the point guard on the other team. And and it can't be like it was in Austin. Because in my eyes, the reason Baylor lost that game, the reason, honestly, that game was even close was because of how badly Ray J was outplayed by Tyrese Hunter. 
and he should take that personally and really um, step up these next few games. He's a senior leader for this team. He's got to play better. So that's one observation I have. You mentioned the defense. To me, the defense is what caps their ceiling. Um, I don't think this team can win six games in a row and win a national championship playing this kind of defense. I mean, I don't even think they can make a Final Four playing this kind of defense. So um, that has to get better. But I do think they're still a Sweet 16-type team. I think they're still a pretty quality opponent and a team that's going to win some games they probably, you know, maybe shouldn't this year. And they might lose some games like they did this weekend that you probably would say they should. And so I think it's just going to be kind of up and down a little bit. But that's the whole Big 12 for you. Yeah, and so just one game this week with TCU and at home, and so you should feel pretty good about the chances there. Uh, and then you'll hit the road next week for UCF. But beyond those two games, which are against unranked opponents, after that, uh, I believe five of your next six or five of your next seven are against top 25 teams. So uh, you better win these games that are on paper winnable um, and teams that are, you know, out of the top 25 and that are at home. So, like, this weekend, uh, you better beat TCU. Like, you can't afford to lose to TCU or else that would be just a really bad look uh, for you to drop three straight and then to lose to the Frogs and, and kind of put yourself in, a, in a, a bad position. So, we'll see how they respond, but um, they, they do need to respond and get up off the canvas like they did the last time they dropped a couple in a row, or this thing could get kind of sideways pretty quickly. You cannot afford to skid in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And you can't uh, lose home games. Yeah, and yeah. so back-to-back uh, back on the road. At some point, Scott Drew's going to beat Jerome Tang, hopefully. I mean, my gosh, that's that's not a thing yet, but now 0-3. So it's now it's becoming a thing mm-hmm. almost in a way, in, in my head at least it is. And so um, just uh, kind of crazy how that's gone in these first few meetings. But that was another game that you, you had there, and I just couldn't quite close it out. So, uh, yeah, tough week for the men, uh, but UCF coming up this weekend uh, on the road. Uh, or excuse me, TCU coming up this weekend at home. Uh, and that's the only game uh, for the next few days. Meanwhile, for the women, the men have lost two straight. They've dropped three of their last four. They got to a point where it's almost like with this team, I've noticed the moment they start to experience success, it's like that's when you say, "Uh uh-oh, because they get to a certain point where it's like they're peaking and then it just drops off. You know what I mean? And then they go and skid and they go back and revert back to more of the middle of the pack in the top 25, and then they'll, they'll get there and they'll win, and then they'll fight their way up and you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and so where you did have a team that was on fire uh just a few days ago or I guess a couple of weeks ago and a lot of bragging and a lot of like you know rallying around this team uh, man that's just gone woof, right out of the door in the last week or so as they've dropped three of their last four at Kansas a 21 point loss uh then a three point gut-wrenching loss uh, in Ames. They were able to bounce back uh, at home, uh, returning last week against UCF with a close victory over the Knights, but then turned right around in a three-point loss to number four, Kansas State. A huge opportunity, had the lead, and just went freaking as ice cold as you can possibly go other than scoring zero points, basically. 16 points in this it, high school girls team score more points than <laughs> like that's that's what you would get in like a 2A boys high school game is like a 32 to 24 game this is basically what they did in the second half 16 points uh, outscored 28 to 16 they lose by 3 to number 4 Kansas State that is brutal 
um, to, to go that cold in the second half. Um, but that was the difference, and that's what got K-State the big road victory. So the first loss in uh, the history of the Foster Pavilion uh, comes down in what really should have been a win. And so K-State is now 19-1 and 8-0 in the Big 12, and Baylor now 4-3 and in the Big 12, just like that. Yeah, and to make matters even worse, Kansas State didn't even have their best player. Didn't even have their I best mean, girl out there. I mean, nope. that is... Aoka Lee. Awful loss. I mean, awful. The way they'd played, the way, how badly Baylor needed this win, and it's tough. I mean, reality hits you fast because we talked about them a couple weeks ago, and we're like, man, all the signs of this team, you know, potentially being a, a Final Four team. I mean, and honestly, they looked like it. The wins that they had on the resume, uh, beating Texas uh, on the road, it really looked like this team really was peaking at a good time but sadly they weren't peaking at the right time because what I'm seeing right now is a team that's kind of been figured out they're a team that's not playing to the level that they need need to be playing at you lose to Kansas who's nine and nine you lose them by 21 points inexcusable and now you turn around and here's the other thing they're not even playing good when they win I mean the UCF game they won by three UCF's terrible that's the worst team in the big 12 probably Outside TCU, when TCU has, what, like five girls that are yeah. active? Yeah, I just saw an article. I think they've signed like three girls off campus now, and I'm not making a joke. Volleyball I think, players. Yeah, yeah, like they've signed like former high school basketball players that are just enrolled at TCU to right. join the team to they have enough tryouts. bodies. Yeah, yeah. UCF is the worst team except when TCU is going through that, and Baylor beat them by three points at the Foster Pavilion. I mean, they're just not playing good basketball right now. It's really concerning because, you know, you look at the schedule. There are a lot of opportunities for wins, but if they're playing like this, I mean, it's really hard to find a path to them winning a bunch more games this year if they keep playing like this. They got to turn around, got to start looking like the team that started the year and start figuring things out because right now it's like bad game offensively, then a bad game defensively, then a bad game here. And it's just really, it, it's not all coming together for them right now. And it's very concerning. Yeah. So Baylor uh, on the women's side now, three of their last four uh, after starting off 14 and 0, they've, they've gone on this little bit of a funky streak. And so, uh, they will go to Oklahoma State coming up on Sunday and try to get right up in Stillwater. Um, K-State, meanwhile, 19-1 and and undefeated in Big 12 play. So that was a huge come-from-behind road win for them, and, and that will be a footnote in Foster Pavilion history as that was the first loss by either team uh, in that new building. But uh, it's been a great atmosphere. Uh, it just wasn't a great outcome, uh, particularly uh, for the Baylor women against Kansas State. But, yeah, you, you got to wonder uh, kind of how they, they fix that. I mean, going cold happens, but that was that was some other kind of otherworldly cold streak. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is just score a couple buckets. I mean, just, you know, make a shot here and there, and they could not do that. So uh, we will see if that changes. Now they go on the road. They got Texas coming up here just around the corner uh, as well, who – despite uh, the Rory Harmon injury, is still a top-10 team at this stage. So, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's and three of their next four are on the road. So this is uh, – and that one road, that one home game, I should say, is Texas. So three road games in Texas over the next two weeks for uh, this Baylor women's team. We'll see where they stand uh, when we reconvene next Tuesday. But, yeah, not a, not a good week for 
uh, basketball here in uh, the Waco area, that's for sure. No, not at all. And I think there was a crazy stat. I think Baylor has something like 43 turnovers the last two games. I believe it, yeah. I think they had 20 against Kansas State and then 23 against UCF. I think they got 43 turnovers the last two games. What? I mean, you can't turn the ball over like that. And again, you're at home in both of those games. It's just... It's a bad sign. They're turning it over far too much, and to lose a game like that, where you're up at halftime by so you know a very good margin against a team without their best player, you got to be able to finish that one. When you're a team that really is desperate for a win, um, so again, disappointed to see. We'll see how they rebound. They got a really tough week coming up. Yes, they do. So there you have it, men, um, or I should say, football with Junior Day coming up and a new transfer commit from Steve Linton. We'll see how he pans out. There's potential there, but you've got to apply and and you've got to show that potential and so if they can maximize his skill set then a really good pickup Um, we'll see how that goes but uh, coach is out on the road about to wrap up that though and and get to work on campus with some again to know you in the case of a Jake Spavital and and these other new coaches and new players as well it's a it's a whole new thing but that's getting started over the next few days Uh, junior day as I mentioned this weekend and then on the basketball side the season grinds on in big 12 play but uh, it was a grind of a week uh, for both basketball teams so fresh set of games to to check out this week and we'll see what happens there and uh, meanwhile I think that about covers it all when it comes to uh, the news to get to today still got a few bears that are alive in the playoffs although mostly practice squad guys at this point you had you know more of your active guys like uh, Jalen Petrie get knocked out last week Terrell Bernard unable to play that was really unfortunate Uh, Buffalo certainly missed him in their loss to Kansas City. It was very obvious right out of the gates uh, when they just attacked the middle of that defense. And A.J. Klein, who, you know, wasn't uh, an active player for most of the season, he has to basically come out of, like, semi-retirement, basically, or whatever it was that he was... they were already missing Matt Milano for the year, so losing both of them. Yeah, and so A.J. Klein has to come in for Terrell Bernard and, and... Terrell Bernard left such big shoes. He was having a fantastic year, so uh, that was unfortunate to see uh, as well. But, um, you know, good little run by Bernard this season. Petrie had a very up-and-down year, but still one of the better reps that Baylor's had in quite some time. So 49ers-wise, you've got nobody. Uh, Ravens-wise, Bravion Roy's on the practice squad, so you'll see him sometimes in street clothes on the sidelines, but he's not playing. But, he, you know, I think... You don't always get a Super Bowl ring if you're on the practice squad. At least I don't believe so. The last time I looked into that is franchises, like, I think would typically give you one, but it's not a guarantee like you're on on the roster. Um, but Baltimore seems like a lovely organization. I'm sure he'd get one if yeah. if they were to win the Super Bowl. So there's a guy there, Connor Galvin's on the practice squad for the Lions. Uh, so you've got him, and sometimes you can catch him on the sidelines as well, uh, hanging out. And then uh, who am I missing? The 49ers, nobody. Uh, the Chiefs have nobody. So you're looking at um, Bravion for the Baltimore Ravens and Galvin for the Detroit Lions as far as Baylor reps of the four teams still remaining. But uh, like I said, those guys aren't active and, roster participants. Yeah, and Ben Sims got knocked out yeah, um, for ben the Packers. Sims, yeah. And he was actually playing quite he was a playing, bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I was impressed and, and 
very cool to see him. I did want to mention, you know, not a lot of people are talking about Terrell Bernard missing that game, but it was such a huge impact for the Bills. I'm not saying they would have won that game, but I definitely think he would have helped. Oh, and yeah. they couldn't create any pressure on Mahomes, and we all know Terrell Bernard is great at that as a blitzing linebacker. Curious if he makes a Pro Bowl. I believe he should. I don't know if that's been announced quite yet, but I do think that he's had a Pro Bowl caliber year. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be in uh, the Pro Bowl. I mean, especially with the injury he just had. But as far as even being honored, um, yeah, they they did release those rosters earlier this month, and he wasn't on there. He wasn't on it? Wow. So, um, yeah, I remember them releasing that. And uh, the only Baylor player that was on there was Ross Matisik, uh, who also ended up being All-Pro, which is a high honor. Um, The long snapper from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So there was that. You know, about a month's time ago, or about three weeks ago, I guess, that some of that came out. Uh, but yeah, Terrell Bernard was not a, a pro bowler. So, uh, yeah, certainly disappointed Snug. because he had a terrific year. But uh, yeah, um, really tough to watch him not be a part of things after the great year that he had. But that's where you stand as far as the NFL action goes. So let's get into all that we have remaining now at this point, which is the mailbag. And some of your questions, and we'll kick it off with Bear Love 89. How many wins next year will make a successful season? What is the minimum number of wins to show progress and feel better about the direction of the program? I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer to both of these is six, making a bowl game. I, and I know that people don't want to hear that, but, I mean, the schedule is brutal. They have six road games against Big 12 teams because that Utah game is still going to be played. Um, six of them. And then four home games, and then you also have an Air Force game in the non-conference, which is never easy. Um, so, yeah, I think six is a successful season. I think six is the minimum number of wins to show progress. You got to make a bowl. I mean, you got to find a way to make a bowl um, in my eyes. And anything more than that, uh, I think you got to feel pretty dang good about um, if, if you're a Baylor fan. Yeah, I'd say six is a, it's a nice starting point it's a fair number I think you go any higher than that and you're maybe presuming too much or uh, asking for too much quite frankly with all the uncertainties with this roster I mean I'm not saying that your expectations should be off but if you're expecting more than six I don't know why you're expecting that Mm -hmm. does that make sense because it's one thing to give them the benefit of the doubt last year it's entirely a new thing to give them the benefit of the doubt again this year which I don't think anybody should feel safe in doing so. I think a fair number is to say, yeah, you should make a bowl game. I mean, that should be bare minimum the expectation, but I also think it's kind of unrealistic to expect any more than that with all that we know or don't know right now. So um, six and getting back to the postseason, given the feeling coming out of last year, you'd certainly want more, but I think that that would be a step forward um, back in the right direction Minimum to show progress would be six. I mean, you can't spend five wins. You can't spend missing a bowl game again. So, yeah, at, at minimum, it's six. And I would say that feeling better about the direction of the program, it would depend on how those six wins go. Because you could win six ugly games, and I wouldn't feel like, man, this thing's really steamrolling towards future success. It could be an ugly six. So the manner in which they do it would be more a part of the – um, second half of your question as far as really being, um, I guess, positive about the progress and the direction that they're making. Yeah. So thank you, Bear Love. Uh, useless Kim Degree, what's going on with Jason Asimoda? Is this a case of much ado about nothing, or should, or is he a legitimate flight risk? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there were rumors about 
I guess, Arizona State potentially being a landing spot if he got out of his national letter of intent. So that was kind of the rumor that was out there. Um, I, You know, ultimately, I think he's going to end up still at Baylor. I mean, I, he signed with Baylor. He's been committed to Baylor for a long time. He's a huge part of what they want for next season because they're probably going to lose Jalen Bridges, and he's going to be a very natural fit. Uh, to take over that kind of small ball forward, um, power forward type uh, position at 6'8". And so, yeah, he's a huge big-time prospect. He's had an awesome season. Uh, He just got knocked down in the ratings completely unfairly. I think he's down at 45th, and he was at 18th. Um, But he's a very good prospect and one who I know Baylor wants to keep. And I, I think ultimately he ends up sticking with Baylor. But there are, you know, some reasons for concern when you hear rumblings like that. Yes, and for those uh, not following the basketball side of things, he is a men's basketball yeah. commit uh, for the class of 2024 and a top, I don't know, depends, I guess, when you looked at the rankings and what rankings you look at, but a top 15, 20, 30, 40, you know, uh, a type of player depending on when and where you looked. But, yeah, four-star uh, type of uh of talent, five-star, I guess, at one point in time. Again, that fluctuated, yeah. uh, but a very good offer list. Kansas and um, who else I had here? Uh, Auburn and a, a bevy of others. So, yeah, we'll see on Jason Asamoto from the class of 2024, yeah. but uh, sounds quick, like that's not over yet. Yeah, and quick nugget, I did want to mention the McDonald's All-American teams are going to be announced today. Um, so something to be on the lookout for because Baylor could potentially have three McDonald's All-Americans with Robert Wright. Jason Asamoda, and then, of course, VJ Edgecombe, um, who I talked about last week. So, could be all three. We know for sure VJ is going to be on the McDonald's All-American team, but we'll see if Robert and Jason can also be honored with that. Scotty B., the Baylor King, do you think Baylor men's basketball lacks killer instinct? Yeah, I, I mean... I think they should watch Karate Kid, not the remake. I haven't seen that one. Um, probably never will, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but the original, sweep the leg. I mean, there's a very valuable lesson there, and there is nothing that drives me crazier than teams that don't know when to put teams away because that just means you're an average team to maybe even a below-average team. When all is said and done compared to what your expectations are because you let wins get away and you don't drive in the, the nail. So do you think that's a problem for this Baylor men's basketball team? I mean, it's a problem, but I... I my my issue with this is that there's going to be teams in the Big 12 that go on the road and lose close games that they feel like they should win. Right. Like, this is not – it's not uncommon, and I don't understand why people view this as uncommon. It's so much better that Baylor is losing a close game being competitive than getting absolutely blown out like some of these teams in this conference have when they've gone on the road. So – I don't want to go that far. I, I think that they could be much better in crunch time. They've had moments where they haven't been, but then you look at the Cincinnati game and the Oklahoma State game where they were able to close games out and find a way to get the win, the Auburn game even. And so I, I think for that reason, I'm not ready to say that quite yet, but these last two games have been very frustrating because Baylor absolutely had a chance to finish the game, especially the Kansas State game where they were up pretty much you know throughout late in that game and just found a way to lose um it's tough to see but I also don't want to say they lack killer instinct quite yet we'll see if this becomes more of a trend yeah I think it's maybe a little bit too early but not 
too much too early. I mean, we'll see, like you said, these next few games, but there's only so many games remaining. There's still enough that you can – there's breathing room. But, yeah, if they were to drop a couple more close games, they let slip through their fingers, then, yeah, like red alert, there's a problem right. here. But it's all expectation. Like, yes, if this is the number one team in the nation, yeah, sure, they should be, you know – putting these games away, you know, slamming the door shut, winning by 20. Like, if they're the number one team in the nation, but they're not the number one team in the nation. They're a top 15 team, which means when you go on the road, you're going to have problems at times closing out games. That's just the reality, I think, right now for them. Burger 86, last year, BU brought 13 transfers who were projected to make significant impact. Unfortunately, that did not happen. It seems like our expectations are the same this year. What's changing? It seems that many players that Baylor is getting – Trying to move up to Power 5 football have not performed as expected. You agree. Why not focus on quality versus quantity with NIL? See, I I think that they are focusing on quality over quantity this year. I mean, they got nine committed. They're probably going to end up taking around the same amount as last year, but I think the quality is better this season. I also think, um, you know, The construction of the roster last year was not good enough. So you brought in guys who were older, and that's great, but you didn't solve all your positional needs. And you were still playing guys who simply weren't good enough to be playing quite yet. Next year, that should be fixed because now you're playing guys who instead of their first or second year on campus, it's their second or third year on campus, and you feel better about um, the improvements they made. And so I think you're putting a better team around these transfers and you're bringing in higher quality transfers, which I do think will make a difference for this team compared to last year's team. Also, last year's team just had... It just was not a good team. It was poorly constructed um, from the top to the bottom. Just not a great roster. Too young at spots. Too inexperienced at spots. Old guys weren't good enough. I think this year's team um, has... There's more reasons to be optimistic with some of the guys that they've been able to land. Specifically, when you look at, uh, you know, Daquan Finn. I mean, that that's a top 10 four-star transfer, Omar Agbedian, four-star transfer, Kurt Daniker, high three-star transfer, Kendrick Simpkins, high three-star transfer. Like These were national-type guys that they went out and landed, um, and they fit the scheme really well. I think Ashton Hawkins as well. So I think it is different than last year's transfer poor recruiting class. Yeah, I mean, I think it remains to be seen. I mean, there's no you know, guarantee that I have to give you here that it's going to be any better. I mean, all we can go off of is who they're going and getting right now and whether it works out or not, we, nobody knows until they actually go and hit the field. So, I mean, for anybody to claim one way or the other would be wrong because no one knows. And right now they're just transactions on paper. Um, But you do bring up a fair point. I mean, Utah State, UNLV, Montana State, Ohio, Texas State, Western Kentucky. I mean, that's almost their entire recruiting class transfer portal-wise. You got a guy from Tech. You got a guy from Ole Miss. But the rest of them are guys that are jumping up to the Power 5 level. So that's valid. But that also doesn't mean that there's not guys who are, you know, at the Power 5 level who need to go down. And there's guys who need to go up. And some of these guys, like an Ashton Hawkins, I think, can certainly play Power 5 football. So... Yeah, I think it remains to be seen. Uh, What's changing is more of the behind the scenes and the staff and things of that nature. So um, you either think it's going to work or you don't. But again, none of us really know until they get out there. And I guess everybody would be happier if all these guys were coming from Alabama and Georgia. But you ask, why not focus on quality versus quantity? Where you donating all the NIL money? 
because they have a lot more than just five holes. They've got, you know, if you want to go and, and get the quality, well, okay, go get the guy who's transferring from Georgia and go get the guy who's transferring from Alabama and go toe-to-toe with Texas and A&M and all these other teams. And then when your payroll's already kaput and you still need 10 more guys, but, hey, at least you got a couple quality guys. You know what I mean? In the transfer portal. Yeah. I But I and, – and I think – I get what you're saying. You're talking yeah. the proven guy from Georgia or Alabama. Well, I'm saying, My, like, you're talking about you want quality over quantity. Well, who's to say they're not getting that? And then so I think quality in this person's mind, all due respect, Berger, is, like, go get the guys from the big-name schools because they point out, like, you're getting – People who right. are jumping up to power and five. How'd that work out what, for TCU last year? Right, it didn't work out. What I'm saying yeah. too is that also means you're spending way more money. And when you're a team that needs like 15 guys, like okay, if you want to do that, well then go donate to the NIL collective because right. you don't just grab that out of nowhere. And if you want to make that type of investment, you've got to invest and, and pony up. And so I think people are ponying up, but you're also at a point where you don't need just four or five big name guys. You need like 15 guys. So that's that's why you're not going to have like pure, you know, 100% unadulterated, you know, power five pickups everywhere left and right from big programs is because that's just not the way that it works and you've got way too many needs. And that would be bad for Baylor too because there's so much risk involved when you're just taking a guy who couldn't get on the field at Alabama or Georgia. Like, that's not a good pickup a lot of the times. Like, yes, there's talent there and yes, you feel like you could project them to be a really good player, but... There are guys that stink at Alabama and Georgia, and then they leave, and they stink in the next place, too. Like, recruiting rankings are not always correct, and so I think that taking proven commodities, even if they're at the G5 level, is a much safer bet for a team that needs proven production next year instead of just taking these random guys who haven't done anything in college. There's just too much risk involved in that. So I think it depends on your definition of quality, but I think Baylor's done a pretty good job of that for you know what Baylor is and the, the kind of players that Baylor needs on their roster going forward. Yeah, so Berger, I think it's just uh, how you want to view it. I think they are getting quantity, and I think they're also, in their eyes, getting quality. And it may not look that way to everybody because they're not instantly recognizable or they're not from big-name programs, but you either trust it or you don't. And you know what? It'll all come out in the wash anyways. Like last year, a lot of people got excited about a bunch of those class members, and it turns out that, I'm sorry, like Justin Sambu didn't do anything. Jake Roberts kind of sort of registered a little bit towards the end, but... Dabney I mean, was the better tight end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so there's no guarantees here, but I think they're just trying to be as prudent and, and as uh, reasonable as they can, and I do think there is quality here, even if it's not from, you know, a bigger program. But, um, yeah, they, a lot of these guys have performed better than expected in some cases. Uh, so, anyways, um, that's uh, that's from Burger 86 and do appreciate the question there. Doc Crowell, who gets more run at Jack next year, Linton or Randolph? Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a pretty even-ish split, um, but I think Randolph will probably register more snaps next year because he's better against the run than Linton is. But I think Linton will get a lot of the pass rushing opportunities. Considering how good he was at the line of scrimmage, how often are we going to be having Simpkins hunt for tackles for loss? Yeah, I think they're going to use Simpkins a lot, yeah, extremely similar to how they use Jalen Petrie. I think he's going to blitz a lot. I think he's going to be around the football a lot, around the line of scrimmage a lot. I'm not saying he's Jalen Petrie, you know, for anyone out there that's taking it that way, but I do think they're going to utilize him like they utilize Jalen Petrie, allow him to be around the football a lot, Give him opportunities to make plays, and we'll see if he can go out there and make them in the Big 12. 
And uh, also from Doc Crowell, <laughs> where do we donate to get Lair in the fold, the Washington signee that we were talking about earlier in the program? Yeah, that would be a huge pickup for Baylor. I, I think he fits kind of exactly what they need in their secondary. So, I mean. That would be more a Burger 86. Uh, that'd be a Washington signee. That'd be more yeah, of their alley. With LSU, Texas, yeah. A&M type offers. I mean, he's, in my eyes, a legit four-star prospect. I know recruiting rankings are kind of up and down on high three-star, low four-star, whatever. But I think in general, that's maybe what he wants. And I think Lair would be perfect. Andy would be a freshman high school recruit, which would add to their 2024 class, which everyone has been, um, you know, not excited about. So, yeah, I think it'd be a nice pickup. Yeah. Oh, and GXG, by the way, if you want to donate, quote-unquote, to that. Yeah, that's where the the money goes apparently for the uh, for the collectives and and all the the business matters that are related to that. GXG is is the place to go. So yeah, that's uh, where you should go to try and help get a player like Lair in the fold. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that recruitment um, pans out. But it's certainly interesting to see all of these rosters opened up free and clear because of these unexpected coaching changes. So it's made it uh, quite interesting. Uh, here in late January. And uh, we'll close it out uh, today with NDBU as the facilities arms race over and yielding to NIL pay for play. After watching the movement of players, it seems that it is more about money to the player than facilities. As such, do you guys see the request for donor dollars directed towards players versus facilities athletic departments? I mean, I think that NIL is going to play a bigger role in that and very much is probably going to be the focus. But I also think at times you are going to have to upgrade facilities. You are going to have to get better in that regard. And I think Baylor's, um, you know, facility upgrades couldn't have come at a better time, to be honest, because it's kind of you're almost done with them, and then you can solely focus on other areas of the football program. And I know recruits are really excited about Baylor's facilities, by the way. I mean, they've talked a lot about it, how excited they are. And, you know, for high school prospects to be able to come to Baylor and have multiple years of it, it um it is really enticing even though yes the nil is going to play a huge factor going forward and is going to take up a lot of the um you know the dollars uh, in my eyes yeah i think it uh, matters a little bit less than it used to i think that when nil wasn't a thing and you were just doing the hundred dollar handshakes and the money envelope and the lockers and all the old southwest conference you know stereotypical type of stuff when you couldn't pay players legally uh, facilities, you, the money had to go somewhere, and you end up with Nick Saban in Alabama, who the the money pot's overflowing to the point of they've got crimson colored waterfalls. Why, like, why is there a waterfall in the team facility, and why is it red? You know, like, wh- like because the money had to go somewhere. It was pouring out of their ears, and we know the coaches were getting a lot of it. Well, now it's opened up to the players, and so yeah, some of that's been redirected. But I don't think that that means that you're getting away entirely from facilities. There's capital projects. That's important to the school. It's still important to the campus. It's important still in recruiting. Like, you you still have to have nice facilities. I just don't think that they're the decision maker or breaker as much as they might have been. I think that their weight is a little bit less than it used to be. But I don't think that they don't matter. I just don't think that they matter as much as they used to and to your point, uh, as much as maybe NIL does. But I think that, too, is also down to who are we talking about. That's not every player. Um, I think now everybody gets a rap is just chasing NIL dollars, and that's probably true to some extent, but I don't think that that's exactly the case for everybody. And I also think that a lot of the money being thrown around is um, – I think there's like ulterior motives with some of the reporting of the money going around by people okay. who who 
who stand to benefit from a lot of money flowing throughout college athletics and there being this idea that money's just you better spend, 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 spend. I think there's a lot of promoting of collectives by entities that I find really puzzling and uh, like a push to donate from like non-universities that's just in this industry kind of weird and you know like with on three evaluations like i don't believe those are right i oh, think there's a, yeah. a way off but it's like pushed as though that's the case and i just find that very strange that there's like this push to make you think that this guy's valuation is three million dollars and it's mm-hmm. like how does that doesn't make any sense and so there's some of that that's just it's i, I don't know what the point of it is but it's kind of like funhouse mirrors and so um, I think there's still just a lot being figured out with NIL. It's certainly uh, really at the top of the list, I think, as far as the priorities and the stresses for schools right now. But I don't think it just washes away everything else, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, although, in some cases, that, that is the, the driving factor. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to get pounded over the head with NIL, NIL, NIL. But facilities still do matter. And um, it's just you don't have to go and get the the – crimson colored waterfall maybe to sway that prospect instead just invest that into the collective and and that'll do the trick so appreciate the question there from ndbu to close things out here and that'll about wrap us up uh grayson anything before we head on out the door here no nothing really just be sure to check out the premium side if you want updates on junior day and just really updates on you know anything at all uh regarding baylor sports we got a lot of news and information basketball football recruiting um so be sure to check that out all right, so busy time and a great time to head on over to Sikkim 365 and get the latest ins and outs scoop and just have discussion with fellow Baylor fans or and sometimes fans from other schools as well. I know when it comes to realignment, we got some folks that hang out on the mega realignment thread uh, that follow that all year long, for example. And so you get a little bit of that talk over there as well as various other sub forums that you can join and be a part of. So yeah, if you haven't checked it out, now's a good time to head on over to the premium section and become a member of Sikkim365.com. Um, but for Garrett Ross and for Grayson Grunhafer, that'll do it for us here. I'm Craig Smoke, and we will talk to you Next Tuesday at 11.15 right here on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 page. If you haven't already, please hit that like button and that subscribe button. We do appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next week.